basically if people ever ask me that know me personally, like, you know, how are you doing? And I know they're not just saying, how are you doing? They're saying, how are you doing? (laughs) You know, as as a bigger question. And my answer is always like, yeah, I'm good. I'm painting, you know, because it's sort of my way of saying I'm great. Because if I'm in the studio and I'm painting, I'm doing pretty good. Everything in my life is doing pretty good. Hi, and welcome to episode 84 of Talking with Painters. If you're new to the podcast, I'm Maria Stolger, and this is where I talk with Australian painters about their lives and art. In this episode, I'm bringing you my conversation with David Griggs, one of the most interesting contemporary painters in Australia today. Stepping into his Sydney studio in the lead-up to his show at Rosalind Oxley 9 Gallery was a sensory experience. The scale of his paintings is large, the colour is bold, and to give you an idea, the word psychedelic has been used more than once in describing his work, and it certainly applies to this show about to hit the Sydney art scene. It's fabulously called Mankini Island and opening night is only a few days after this podcast goes online on Friday, 7 February 2020. David's an eight-time Archibald finalist and has exhibited in over 25 solo shows. He's well known for his connection with the Philippines where he lived for over 10 years and many of the works he produced there were included in a major survey exhibition called Between Nature and Sin, which travelled across Australia for over two years, ending only a couple of months ago. Through his Archibald portraits, he's also been open about his experiences with depression and in this episode he shares his views on how he manages and overcomes it. Great to talk about given how prevalent depression and anxiety are in our world today. He's thoughtful, funny and I totally enjoyed meeting him. All the works we talk about, as usual, are on the website talkingwithpainters.com. David grew up in Western Sydney and we start this conversation talking about his childhood with his memories of high school. Yeah, so I went to Cumberland High School, which was uh, in Carlingford. And, you know, I was just that... I wasn't a naughty kid, but I was a... Not rebellious. I don't know what I was, but I wasn't a normal kid, if that makes sense. (laughs) So I wasn't like naughty or bad. I just wasn't. You're independent minded. Yes. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And and I reached a point sort of maybe year eight or something where I just really didn't care about anything we were doing and I just would fill whatever class it was you know math English I mean English actually I sort of got into a bit but nearly every other class I was just drawing in my books and it reached a point where I was called to the principal's office because the math the math teacher was just couldn't handle it he was I can't help this kid you know he's not doing anything he doesn't do his homework he fails all the exams and I got nothing against math I just wasn't I uh, wasn't interested in it you know I was interested in drawing in my book and so I was called to the principal's office and I thought it was going to be this whole like I'm in big trouble and you know all this stuff and my art teacher was there oh yeah um so we had they between the teachers they organized a deal where if I so say there were three or four math classes a week right mm. if I put in an effort in one of the classes, then the other three classes, I was allowed 
even if I'm alone, to go to the art class. Really? It wouldn't matter what class, say, my art teacher at the time was doing, I could sit in. And, and I still, I mean, I've actually heard recently through another friend that I went to high school with that that art teacher, whose name was Miss Toms, recently passed away. And I think a few of the students from, from that, that class, my year particularly, some of them have gone on to be incredible 3D animators and graphics. And there's been a lot of kids that are, not a lot, but a handful of kids that have come out of her high school class that have ended up pursuing, you know, yeah, in right. creative fields. And she definitely made that happen. So what happened after school? Did, were you encouraged to go, to continue with art? Yeah. Look, to, you know, I was the kid that, got the worst TR possible. So they call it, at the time they called it 15 and under, which basically means you might have got one. (laughs) They don't tell you. It means you were that bad. And it wasn't because I was not bright. I just didn't care, you know. I was already out. Like my my brain was already out of school in, uh, you know, thinking about bigger things, even though I didn't really know what that meant. Mm. Um. So I went to TAFE. Oh, yeah. And what you did painting there? Well, it's, it's really, look, you know, like, I mean, to cut, you know, sort of a long story short from back in the day, you know, I did three years at TAFE. I did my undergrad at uni and then my master's also at uni. So I'd done a lot of art studies, so to speak, in different environments. Mm. Yeah, it's funny because I did up to my honours at Sydney College of the Arts and my supervisor was Matthias Gerber, who was just incredible. Um, We're still, you know, friends now. He's, like, in my opinion, one of the best Australian painters here. And, yeah, I just loved him. He was just, like, you know, he'd talk and he'd be like, yeah, okay, keep doing what you're doing, like, there was a conversation, but if he felt that you were just onto something, he'd just be cool with you, keep pushing it. Mm. Um, but then the irony is I was in the painting department and I was making sculpture. <laughs> you know, I didn't do one painting oh, really? at, uh, in my university years uh, yeah, in right. terms of the length of study I'd had. So what were you doing in sculpture? I was putting silicon on sheepskin and wrapping it around plastic tubes and building furniture out of just crap. I don't know. I I mean, (laughs) it was like I was just experimenting. Yeah, right. It wasn't, there's no, it was more like I was experimenting with materials to see what I could do with a certain material. But But were you thinking at that point you'd be a sculptor? Or not necessarily, no, you I were still into painting. I never really thought of it as sculptor, painter. You know, I just thought of it as I'm making art and however I need to get some sort of idea through, that's the medium I'll use. Um, but then it was actually the Christmas break between um, finishing my honours degree where there was no structure all of a sudden. Because, you know, let's face it, when you're studying, there is a structure, there is a timeline, and all of a sudden you're out. Mm. 
you know, I'd been in a few little group shows and stuff like that, but I'd never really had my own studio. And all of a sudden I had my own studio because apparently that's what you did. You know, I, I, all that's what you do, right? If you're going to try and, and pursue it. And there was just something in me that I started getting stretches and canvases and then it just sort of took off and my career, start, things started to happen. Let's jump ahead because um, I think it was 2005 that you got a residency through AsiaLink mm-hmm. in the Philippines. Yeah. And that was going to be the start of a long, a lengthy relationship yeah. with the Philippines, which culminated in a, 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 sh- a survey show which just travelled around Australia which for about two years, which was called Between Nature and Sin. Um, and it, those works were, were largely based on your time in the Philippines. Can you tell me a, a bit about what it was like actually going to Manila uh, compared to your life, what it was like in Sydney? Wow. I mean, it's that when, when people ask me about the Philippines and all of that, I feel like it's a century ago, you know? Really? But I actually haven't been back for only two years. Yeah. But, you know, I spent a solid 10 to 12 years based there. And it's like this whole other part of my life that has definitely informed who I am as an artist and as a person. It's a really big, (laughs) complex part of my life. So I'll try and break it down. There was an exhibition at the Penrith Regional Gallery and the Lewis Bequest it was a residency program at the regional gallery and we all had our own studios, we all had our own bedrooms. It was pretty pretty yeah, interesting, right. pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Anyway, one of the artists, Filipino artists, had come to do this residency. Oh, yeah. And I knew his work from, I think, one of the Asia-Pacific Triennales and I always thought, this guy is really out there. Like very just, look, I won't go into it, but his name... Is is Jojo Legaspi, Jose mm-hmm. Legaspi? I'll put a link. Right. Was he the one that got you? Well, this got is the thing. So yeah. one one night, um, there was a communal area with a computer that had you know internet, and I was putting in a few hours doing an application for Hanoi, for Asia Link, because I'd been to Hanoi, I'd seen the art school, and I loved it there. Mm. Uh, I thought, wow, yeah, I should apply for Hanoi, and I was halfway through writing it. And Jojo came in and was like, hey, what are you doing, blah, blah, blah. So I told him about this, this residency for Asia that they have for Australian artists and all this stuff. And he just straight away was like, don't go to Vietnam, you know. Come to the Philippines. What are you talking about? Do they have one in Manila, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, they do actually. He's like, oh, forget, forget Hanoi, you know. And then he got online and he was showing me artists from Manila and he was showing me the beaches. And you know, he was really giving me the whole tour. <laughs> you know, he was like, look yeah. at this, look at this, look at this. Yeah. But when he was scrolling through the, the, um, the artists, which I'd never heard of, obviously, I was like, oh, wow, okay, I get it. Mm. And that night I changed my application to Manila. Mm. But that's where it all started. Right. Yeah. So what, what did it feel like when you got there? Well, look, there's a lot of great galleries there, a lot of progressive galleries. Also, a lot of them are commercial, mm. a lot of progressive independent galleries. There's so much happening, even at that point in time. Now it's just insane. But at that point in time, it was still really happening, which I didn't know yet. And one night 
um, my host drove me around to like five openings. And I was like, what, what the, oh. what's going on? Five <laughs> openings? Like in one night, you know, and that's not even touching the surface. And then the next night, I was like, oh, I'm going to take you to an art lecture by Paul Pfeiffer. And I was like, you mean the famous like American dude? video dude or Hawaiian or you know whatever yeah. Filipino Hawaii I don't know I just know the name you yeah, know yeah 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 he's in town he's actually like Filipino like what Paul Pfeiffer's like okay and then so the first sort of art event I went to was like this lecture by Paul Pfeiffer and I was like uh we don't get that in Australia mm. this, what's going on here you know so it felt exciting it felt really exciting um and that's where it all sort of started and then I met a bunch of painters that were just so welcoming and just let me, you know, Manuela Campo, Jason Oliveria, and it looked at there's so many. Mm. And it was just a really, in terms of what was happening with painting at that point in time, just like blew blew my mind. And I always felt in Australia like, it wasn't that I didn't have the permission to really experiment, but I felt like I had no gauge, if that makes sense. You know, like there's a few of the, say, post-war painters that were pretty radical. And then at the, there's also like during my generation was like Adam Cullen. And, you know, there was a few people mm. that were pretty out there, you know. But it was a very small group. For me, that was exciting for me. And when I went there, I was like, this isn't just a small group. This is like a whole city. And I was like, every studio I went to to visit, it was like, oh, my God, i got to up my game. These guys are amazing, you know. Some of them are young, some of them are old, male, women. You know, it doesn't matter. It was like all everything. It wasn't like this idea of young art. It was just like art. Everyone was so wild. Yeah, you know? right. Um, so that was amazing. Well, the sort of work, we probably should talk about the sort of work that you were doing mm. there um, because that's what was in the show Between yeah. Nature and Sin. Because the show was like a collection of paintings and, and photography and film yeah. um, which relate to that time that you were there. And um, I think the curate, your curator described it as, you know, being drawn to the underworld of that society. So you get mm. a lot of imagery, challenging imagery, which, you know, such as skulls, you know, bones, bloodied eyeballs, all that mm. sort of thing, a lot of figures in that sort of work. Did those symbols, all that sort of thing, have a personal significance for you in that time when you were there? Look, I had, I had this dream of becoming a war photographer. That was actually my passion and dream. Right. It's somewhere along the line... I realized my mental health capacity was not up for it. Mm. I wasn't wired to do that. Mm. Um, but I was still fascinated in just humanity at its best, at its worst, at its, fra you know, the most fragile, the most disturbing, and also its most beautiful. You know, so I was still wanting to... I guess, have the, the emotional and physical experience of doing such a thing without getting hurt, mm. if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, and so what I noticed was when I started to spend a lot of time there, the, the divide between rich and poor, which everyone talks about, is huge. And 
I'm just, you know, look, I, I like the aesthetics of, you know, a bit of wood on the street that's like got a nail in it or something, you know. So I like the ephemeral sort of nature of city instead of the clean edges and, you know. Mm. So I was drawn to some of the regions that um, middle class, the upper middle class Filipinos just do not go to, you know. Look, it started from being interested in drawing. It started being interested in tattooing. You know, my approach to art is sort of simple. It's like you have an idea, you um and ah if the idea is good enough and if you go, "Mm, yeah, that's good enough, then you just do it. There's no like, am I doing the right thing question. There's just you do it, Yeah, it works or it doesn't. You don't know unless you do it. So I started photographing the gang tattoos on the streets with people that had them. And it became a three-year project. And I was going to, you name it, like I, I, I know the streets of Manila, like the back of my hand, you know, uh, to the point where my Filipino friends would, hey, hey, I want to get to here and here. Do you know how I could get there? <laughs> no, for real. Like that because I was so trying to find the right locations. And it sounds a bit silly. With the best weird tattoos, right? <laughs> But so how did I became you know where to go. Well, I didn't. I would just get off <laughs> buses and trains and jeepneys and just walk in there anywhere like an idiot, <laughs> you know. Um, but would you, was there any sense of danger in that situation? Uh, there's a few stories, but nothing too right, extreme. Right, right. Yeah. So it'd be in the daytime and. Oh, oh yeah, been, I'm yeah. not going. Yeah, yeah daytime right. for sure. But so would you approach strangers? Yeah, yeah. But I'd never photograph anyone without. Uh, conversation about it and I think I think just because I had also tattoos people were like ah this guy yeah 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 he's cool yeah yeah right but you know if I maybe looked differently I probably wouldn't have had that access that happened uh, organically I'd never really only a few of them showed the people's faces most of them were like details of the imagery because I wanted it to be focused on the idea that the image, tattoo image and the iconography can also be your identity away from, say, a portraiture. So in a way it was portraiture, but using the tattoos as, as that, that signifier. But even during that period, um, you were still entering the Archibald because you're an eight-time finalist yeah. in the Archibald including last four years in a row, actually. Mm. And I wanted to talk a bit more about that because it seems like a common theme in in those paintings Mm. is something that you've been very open about and talked Mm. about a lot, and that is your your, um, struggle with depression, Mm. which you've had, you know, several bouts of. Yeah, and I'm pretty open about talking about it because I know from experience, particularly within the arts, and I mean everyone not just in the arts but the whole goddamn world you know it's an epidemic but my po- my point is i can only really talk about inside the arts because that's my my thing right mm. and i know for a fact that even within the visual arts people hide it you yeah. know and this you know their work their work is like so out and so wild and just whatever's going on but then their emotional status there's still a stigma so my point is that 
If you think about the idea that you cannot control your mind and you cannot control what your mind is doing to you physically, like you have the helplessness is so extreme, right? Mm. And that's why there's all these Beyond Blue and Suicide Watch and you name it, we know it, right? Yeah. And this, this sounds really cliche, but from a creative point of view, and don't get me wrong, we're some touch wood, you know, I never want to have an extreme bout like some of the ones I've had again. That's a given. But in saying that, there is something that happens to you when you come through the other side that being reborn isn't the right term. It's like being reset because you start to think about what's really important to you in your life. How do you approach different things in your life? Because the main, the main reason for doing this isn't in a sense to be a better person. You know, this whole thing, oh, I'm a better person for it. It's like, no, you're not. You're just a survivor. You know what not to do, right, to end up in these situations again. And, you know, there's things that implement this through genetics and, you know, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, whatever, stress, all these things. So some of it you can't control, but you can control a certain amount of it and at least be aware of the triggers, be aware that if you don't want to go to that noisy party because you just don't feel like it, don't go. It's not a big deal. Like you know what not to do with your life. Like so for me, I have had to keep things very, very simple for many years now where, you know, I just break it down to you eat better, you try to sleep better, um, and for me, the big one is exercise, you know, mm. and being engaged with people, um, particularly, I think as an artist, the most important thing I've learned from those experiences is you start to not care about the crap or you don't, it's not that you don't care about the industry, but it's, it's completely secondary. Because for me, it's if I'm in the studio and I'm functional and I'm painting and I'm so embedded and involved in the process of painting that it gives me a thrill, that is an addiction also. But it's a healthy addiction. Basically, if people ever ask me that know me personally, like, you know, how are you doing? And I know they're not just saying, how are you doing? They're saying, how are you doing? Yeah. You know, as a, as a bigger question. And my answer is always like, yeah, I'm good. I'm painting, you know, because it's sort of my way of saying I'm great. Because if I'm in the studio and I'm painting, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. Everything in my life is doing pretty good if I can keep that focus at a really nice level where I feel inspired. Because if I'm not painting, there's something wrong. Yeah, right. So that's a sign that things are going okay. Yeah. And can you tell the signs if you're starting to go downhill again? Yeah, lots of little things. Yeah, like little things that most people would feel, but it might not spiral, you know, like you just feel a bit edgy, uh, racy brain when you wake up bit more than normal maybe you know um you check an email that something not so great but it shouldn't affect you how it did mm. you know yeah. just uh, the normal stuff but i think with people that do have that trait to you know 
that's embedded in them to suffer a different level of, of depression that you got to be aware of also going, it doesn't matter. Like, that email doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying you don't push forward and you don't have purpose and you don't do all these things, but you got to, yeah, not I suppose not you gotta tra- you got to train yourself to be like that, do yeah, you think? Or yeah, and I know a few of my friends find it really frustrating <laughs> because... <laughs> You know, it would be like, I don't rush for anyone. It's like, yeah, but like the movie and like the, you know, it's like, it's okay. Like, I mean, I will rush for a movie because I don't want to <laughs> miss a movie, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or if someone's late for you, you know, bloody hell, they're like an yeah. hour late. And I'm like, Okay, I'll give them another 20 minutes and then I'll go about my day. You know? Yes, yes, so rather you, than put some sort of meaning into that. Yeah, and it is very hard. I mean, especially this day and age where, where it can be found like any second of the day or night with our phones. It's like boom, 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 you know. Mm. So to take that extra level of self-care is a bit harder these days, I think. Mm. Yeah. That's uh, that's really um, great. I, look, I really congratulate you for talking about it because it's just affecting so many of us, you know. And for people who are struggling to hear you talk about it, it's really valuable yeah. Um, yeah. and it can help them. Yeah. So I think it's really great. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't want to plug anything on your podcast, <laughs> but um, I have been... Over the last couple of, a couple of years, very slowly working on a book. Oh, yeah, uh, right. About, about my uh, experiences with depression and particularly as an artist dealing with depression. And I guess because, you know, I wrote one statement in the Archibald thing that people latched on to and went, oh, my God, he just said it. He just, he just told the whole world. Mm. It's like, yeah, like if we don't help each other, we're, we're doomed, you know. And But because of that being, I guess, honest about it within a couple of those statements at the Archibald, the people now, in a weird way it's good, in a weird way it's bad, but they affiliate me with that. Mm. And they look at my work a different way sometimes, which is good and bad. Well, talking about the Archibald paintings, um, I wanted to talk about one in particular, and that was the one from last year. Alexi. Your, yeah, yeah, Alexi Glass Cantor. Yeah. I love that painting. I think it's fantastic. It's a huge diptych. Well, Thank most. You. Of, I mean, we could talk about that. There's that they, you know, all most of your paintings are really large, really yeah. large scale, yeah. um, which I think adds to the impact of them. Um, but these, the the portraits that you've done of people other than your than yourself portraits are generally people who have helped you through dark times. Yeah. Um, and I know that's what you, you in your statement, you'd mentioned that with yes. Alexi. Yes. Um, I wanted to talk about this more in the from the point of view of structuring a painting and in particular composition of a painting, of your paintings, because I'm really interested in your process in that way. Yeah. Um, I'll just describe it quickly for people who haven't seen it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Good luck to me. <laughs> In, in a lot of ways, it's typical of your work because there's a lot going on in it. Mm. I think a lot of your work's got a lot of depth in it. And in this one in particular, there's a landscape on the left-hand side and then you've got sort of all these forms that are overlapping in front of it, culminating in her portrait on the right-hand side. It's a diptych. Yeah. It's on the right panel. Um, 
How do you start off with your paintings? I mean, how do you approach a painting like this? Uh, look, maybe once or twice a year, there'll be a painting that you just can't get right. And the level of stress from it, unless you're a painter, you don't know how full on that can be. Because it's like you're almost getting it right, but you're not. And that's when you're like, oh, like I would go home and I would sit on my little step in the balcony all hours and just be like going through my head. How can I fix it? How can I do it? What can I do? What can I do? And Alexi's painting was one of those. Oh, really? And I think that happened with her painting for a few reasons. One, that that one year I did at Art Space in the residency, right? And like you mentioned, it wasn't just her that helped me out during a, a hard time. It was the whole staff. Mm. And it was, from what I have spoken to, to some of the staff there about is that um, even though it was a very, there was a few months there that, you know, I really needed um, help mm. um, to get through it, you know, that they sort of, it sort of triggered with them to like, oh my God, like, yeah, like there's like eight artists every year above us in the studios, like really what's going on with them as individuals, you know? So it was sort of nice that they went, you know what, like, I mean, they're engaged anyway, it's, it's a given, but it was just, there was a lot to talk about, you know, and then people in the staff, we talk about this and talk about that. And then it became with all talk. Everyone would talk about their stuff, you know. Mm. And it was really something special, particularly within an institutional environment, you know, because you don't often get that. I mean, you get that with your doctor mm. or maybe some family and friends. But in that environment, to have that was very, very special. And look, ideally, I would have painted the whole stuff, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, but of course, right. I can't. You know, it's just forget it. Well, you mentioned in the statement that they sort of were very uh, caring towards you. Yeah. And yeah. there must have been no pressure at all for you None to... None at all. Yeah. I mean, I remember, I think it was actually Alexi, because um, I had to leave the residency for a couple of months. I remember Alexi said something like, uh, we'll see you when you come back. Mm. And just that affirmation, it sounds so trivial, but that affirmation is like... Yeah, it goes a long way because, you know, if someone says like, oh, if you can't come back, it's okay. It's a different conversation. Yeah. It's a different emotion. But the fact Alexi was just like, we'll see you when you come back. It's like, okay. Mm. You know. It's like they've got faith in you. They've got you're faith gonna get in me. They've got faith in me as an artist that's working in their, their gallery and all this stuff. And so I thought, well, look, I can't paint the whole stuff. Forget it. <laughs> So let's just focus on Alexi because she's the director and we actually have a history. She was the first person that wrote about my work for a magazine, yeah. uh, art collector back in the day, and she saw a piece I had and just was like, oh, I want to write about this kid for the collectibles or whatever they did at, you know, the 50 most collectible, you know. Right. They would have given know, you a when, boost. Yeah, yeah, when you're young, you're like, 
collectible. I've only sold like two things, you know. <laughs> but you know, nonetheless, she 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 just took it on and went, I like what this guy's doing. I don't know him that well, but I'm gonna write about it. Yeah, yeah. So we go pretty way back. And so back to your question is that one, because of our history together as colleagues and she had done a lot for me, you know, a few shows I've been curated in, the Independence Project um, in Malaysia and a few other things that I was like, oh, wow, like, okay, there's more here than just the the girls help me out at art space. Mm. I have to be... Basically, I wanted to do a really, really good portrait. That's what it come down to. And I think when you do put that extra pressure on yourself, you're going to come into a wall at some point because your own pressure is, is a lot. So you mean the more pressure you put on yourself, the harder you're going to find doing the yeah, painting, right? Yeah. And is that because of the person you've chosen? Yeah, you- it was because I, I, Alexi was sort of interesting because, you know, she she looks like, um, how would you put it? You know, she's very like Renaissance. Mm. Like there's a certain way you want to paint her because you know tradition, you know the history of painting and you, you can see her painted this way or that way. You know it, you see it, you can see it, you know. And I thought, oh, that's that usually when that first idea comes to my head, like, oh, she should be painted this way. I never take that because that's usually the first way everyone will think because that's the aesthetic trigger of our perception about painting. So with Alexi, I was like, okay. So I said to her, you know, we had a few sittings and all that like you do and I... I had just written in my diary, it just said, huge painting, um, dark and moody. Mm. I don't know if that was a reflection on me or her or whatever, but I, I, I imagined her like a Goya painting or something, mm. you know, um, and I don't know why I just did. And so after she'd told me a lot about her life, which some of the imagery in the painting is is referencing that I said, hey, Alexi, like I never really asked this question to sitters before, but how do you, just the first thing off the top of your head, how do you imagine the painting to look, the scale and look? Any ideas, you know? And most people be like, oh, I don't know. You know, and Alexi was just like, I think really big, and sort of dark. Oh, you're kidding. And I was like, <laughs> we're on the same page. You wow. Know? So that's where, that's where it all started. And then it was my job to sort of figure out how to do that. Yeah, right. And so how do you figure out how to do that? Yeah, well, this is, so this is what happened. I had a vision, like I had a, almost a visual in my head where I could picture that page we were on. Mm. And then I tried to paint it and it didn't work. And I was like, oh. Spent like a week on this thing and I was like, nah, it's not working. And I remember taking a day out of the studio just going, hmm, this hasn't happened for a while. Like to a point where i got to scrape the whole painting back. Yeah, right. And I was like, okay, take a breather, you know, do a bit of meditation. <laughs> yeah. Have a good sleep. Look at it again in the morning. And again, I was like, yep, no." Nah. No, it's not working. And I went back home and I was, because I wanted to only paint in the night 
to keep this this vibe going that we talked about. So mm. I went back home and literally waited for it to get dark. <laughs> I said to my partner, I'm going to the studio and I'm scraping this whole painting back. And and she's very she's not critical of me unless she feels she needs to be critical of me. And it was the first time she actually said, yeah, you need to scrape that back. <laughs> I was like, damn it, it's not just me, you know. But but then it was cool because I went, I took that moment and I went back and I, because it was all still wet, you know, I scraped it back and I was like, okay, let's think about this again. And then I came up with the, you know, the the landscape and I thought about her great-grandmother's gravestone in Parramatta and I thought about some trauma she'd had that I won't talk about on the podcast but you know there was all these things going on where I think at the start I was trying to think about it purely aesthetically Mm. and I had to go no 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 like let's think about it emotionally so if you look at if you look at Alexi's painting you can get a sense of you know, the structure's compositionally fine, the nose is in the right place, you know, like the things are there. Mm. But it's it's a mood, it's a gesture, it's an emotion of that person. And I'd never done a painting like that before, at least for the Archibald. And it was sort of liberating because when it clicked, it was like, ah, I'm going to deal with emotion. I'm not going to deal with aesthetic. The aesthetic's going to happen anyway. Well, exactly. And particularly on such a scale. Mm. Well, then it got hung in a perfect spot, in a very prominent spot. And in fact, it was behind the... uh, Speakers, yeah, yeah, behind the podium when they were awarding the the Archibald. Uh, so it, um, it obvi- they obviously thought it was a, a a really major work as well. Yeah, and also um, I noticed that with um, you know with between nature and sin, a lot of those works were acrylic, but you've also done a lot of other works in in oil. Why would you choose yeah. one over the other? Uh, I ebb and flow between the two. I used to only work in acrylic because I well. At the start, I only worked in oil when I was starting out. Always oil. I loved it. Mm. And then I had a studio in Melbourne for a couple of years. And I started getting sick from the, the oil. I don't know if it was the the combination of the terps and this and that. And, you know, you're a bit young and stupid, probably not wearing masks like I do now and gloves and all that stuff. You know, now I, I glove up. I go, you do know, you? I'm yeah. like, yeah. And I got really ill from the, the oil paint and I thought, whoa, okay. You know what? It's not worth it. I'm going to acrylic. Mm. And then for years I used acrylic and I got very good with acrylic in terms of technical painting. Um, which is like some of the works you can see in the Between Nature and Sin. But then, you know, I'd see different shows like if I was in Europe or somewhere and you'd come across, I don't know, a huge schnabel or basilitz or something in oil and be like, oh, it's like, <laughs> it's dreamy. You know what I mean? So it it's like, not so much the application of it, it's the actual yeah. the look, of, the aesthetic of it. And then I thought, how can I do this? How could I use oil and not get sick again? So I, was, so I never use terps ever. Mm. I don't even wash my brushes. I mean, I won't go in too much to my 
secret techniques. <laughs> no. <laughs> but look, it's, it's, I found a way to do it where occasionally I'll use a lean medium, yeah. but more than often than not, it's just straight from the tube, mixing straight from the tube, and it's only rags. So I, and just keep your brushes in water so they're at least a bit damp. You can rag them off the next day. But I never, in a sense, clean my brushes. In, you leave them in water? I leave them in water. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they don't dry out? Or they don't. Yeah, I mean, you can't do that for a long period of time. But if you're working and you can, you can manage to use oil without the crazy odours. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I think a lot of people are trying to find ways to um, yeah. minimise exposure. Well, if I, if I couldn't find that way, I would have stuck to yeah. acrylic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because, well, the other thing is there's probably some ben- – do you think there are any benefits to acrylics that you can't get from oils? Uh, the only real benefit is the drying time. <laughs> it's yeah. fast, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know. <sighs> Look, I mean there's certain fluoro colours in acrylic you can get that you can get in oil but it's top tier, like $300 a tube or something. Acrylic's like 20 bucks, but you know, if they're the longevity, I don't know. But you know, it's but because I painted with acrylic for so many years, that in terms of it doing anything very rendered and in a sense realist, you know, I'm very good at that with acrylic. Mm. With oil, just because it's so luscious, I just want to just mess it up, you know, it's like. <laughs> It's like I'll, I'll bleed, you know, I'll blend something really, you know, oh, yeah, the cheek is so nice. And then I just see this one little bit of the oil that sticks up and you're just like, oh, that's more interesting than this blend, you know. <laughs> so, you, so, yeah. it's So you paint differently in a way. Yeah, I completely differently between acrylic and oil. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. And you've you got a show coming up at Rosa Noxley Nine, mm. um, and that's called Mankini Island. <laughs> yes, Mankini <laughs> Island. I love your titles. Yeah. The actual paintings that are going into that show are pretty spectacular. Congratulations, yeah. they're really great. Thanks. Um, and they do have that depth that we were talking about, but they don't. They're li- less figurative, really. The ones, well, yeah. generally speaking. Yeah. So is that heading towards abstraction a bit more? Is that something you've been um, aiming for, or is that something you've been consciously doing? Yeah, I've always I've I've always struggled with abstraction in a sense in a pure form when I mean when I think you know so many people think of abstraction in so many different ways where you could think about you know how there's abstraction you can think about oh god this is so many but for me when I think about abstraction I just think about gesture and mess Mm. you know like I think about not even decooning because like you can see the women in decooning you can see whatever the hell that's going on in decooning but if you maybe isolate a section of a decoot, that's how I imagine abstraction. Mm. I must say in your work you can see, right. you know, it is a representational to a large yeah. extent. Yeah, and, and believe me, like in my sort of private studio world, I've tried for many, many years to do a half-decent abstraction. Why? I don't know why because it's sort of like the holy grail, you know. It's like... Like, look, don't get me wrong. If you, you know, everyone has different talents about how to, you know, paint realistically. And I hate to say it, but that shit can be taught, right? So for me, I want mood, I want energy, I want 
like happiness if that sounds you know a bit silly but it is you want to you know and there's i'm telling you there's nothing more sort of thrilling than throwing some paint around and moving some paint around and mixing some color and seeing the contrast between this color and that color and it's a fleeting millisecond of a feeling because it only happens once and you feel it and then you keep doing it and you and you're moving the paint and it's like when you can get that feeling ah it's like i did it you know and you haven't been sitting down drawing an eye for 20 hours you know <laughs> it's like you you've just yeah. you've created a feeling just with color well that color palette you're using right. in those show, in those paintings is is real as you say uh, if you are trying to convey a sense of happiness, I think those colours you've chosen are helping that yeah. aim. Do you think that choice of colour is important to convey a certain emotion? Oh, completely, yeah. With some of the palettes, it's reflecting my mood probably more than trying to get a reaction of a mood, you know, for a viewer. Um, but if my mood at that time or my connection I had with those colors at that given time is thrilling or uh, visually at least visually thrilling then nine out of ten times people will have that same visual reaction yeah right. um, but you know these this can ebb and flow and and we view paint you know we view color completely also because of the scale we view the colour because of the colour of the floor in the gallery. I mean, there's so many things that will come into play to viewing the painting. Yeah. So the way I view it in the studio when I'm painting, like usually when I hang a work somewhere, it's like, really? They're the colours I use? Because it didn't look like that. You know, and that's the thing because the whole environment you're in will trigger different ways the colour is being reflected. And I sort of like that about a painting. You know, like people talk about a, pa a painting as the, oh, it's just a commodity, it's an object, it's like so easy if you're a painter. And it's like, yeah, but it's actually super ephemeral. And people are like, what, what are you talking about? It's paint on a canvas, it's not ephemeral. It's like, no, nah, the light makes it ephemeral. It's always changing, you know. I mean, yeah, it's not disintegrating and all this, you know, becoming extinct in, a, in its own form, but it is ephemeral in a visual aspect. Mm. So from the time of day even right, as well. Right, So would you sometimes see one of you, so I think you've just said that, like say one of your works is saying the Archibald, will it be sort of sometimes maybe disappointing seeing it hung in that <laughs> space? <laughs> it's always disappointing. <laughs> no, no. Um, <laughs> I suppose, look, you probably yeah. can't say, I suppose. Oh, I, think, I think what I, I mean, you know, the art gallery, the ceilings are so goddamn high. Particularly in that, you know, that room you're talking yeah. about and that painting of Alexi is whatever it is, 300 by 3 or 290 by 300 or whatever, the, you know. And in the studio, it hit the roof. Like it literally, I had to paint it on a slight angle. Not too much of an angle, but enough to be a little bit frustrating. Um, so it dominated your studio. Yeah, the whole studio. I think there was like one centimetre each edge of the painting from the wall to wall or something. It was just crazy. Um, but my point is that, you know, when it gets hung in the in the museum, it's like, oh, it looks like a thumbnail. It's, <laughs> you know, it's like tiny. Yeah, yeah, It's tiny. Yeah. And the, the only thing where you realise that it is huge 
is I saw a photo of Alexi with her mum in front of it. Yeah. I was like, ah, yeah. Okay, it looks pretty good. Get big. a sense of scale. But of course, you know, they're standing sort of as if they're part of the painting and you get a sense of the scale and, yeah. Yeah. I just want to ask you a little bit about your routine um, and also about um, how you get into the flow of painting. Do, is that something easy for you or can some days it just not, not happen? Mm. Uh, my my routine, yeah, it's been the same for years actually. Um, I mean, maybe the times changed in terms of the time I would paint, but the routine is always the same where it's like, you know, wake up, glass of water, coffee. I mean, how detailed do you want to get? <laughs> no, no, I like, I mean, you. I like details. <laughs> um, you know, and then I w- I'll go to the gym, you know. Uh, for an hour and a half and just sort of get the blood like moving and flowing and you know mind you that gym first thing in the morning is like that first 10 minutes is goddamn hard you know but then after the 15 20 minute mark and you're kicking into your regime it's like ah that's why I come here you know? so you need discipline to yeah do you do need discipline and then you know I noticed that around the 30 minute mark I start going through, um, yeah, like whatever's happening in my life, I'll try to think about that, uh, sort of project a a positive outlook, you know, to whatever's coming up. Uh, If it's like a painting or a show or whatever, I'll just think about it. it, It's interesting because when I think about stuff in the gym, when it comes to painting, I, I'm not really thinking about um, not so much what I'm going to paint or how I should paint. I sort of have this mantra, which is like, it sounds really stupid, but it's the mantra that seems to work for me. And it's the only way I feel comfortable within my sort of artistic skin, if this makes any sense. So I have this mantra on and off where I sort of, you know, over in my head a couple of times in the gym, I'll just say, fuck everyone. Like, <laughs> I know, right? It's like, <laughs> fuck everyone. It's like so stupid. But it's, it's my yeah, way of going, yeah. I'm about to go to work in the studio And I can't think about the market. I can't think about the galleries. I can't think about my career. I can't think about all the stuff that comes with it. I'm not saying I don't think about it. But in that moment, I can't think about it. Mm. So I've developed this thing where I just go, fuck everyone. Mm. Which means I'm ready to get into the studio. And all that external stuff is... I've dispersed it to some degree. And so that's my regime. And then I'll, you know, make a sort of protein shake, bananas and all that, and then have something to eat. And then I'll go down the studio. And uh, yeah, I know, I know when I'm in the vibe, <clears throat> when I'm really in that painting zone where I don't often look at my phone. And then if I do or I need to because of whatever, you know, whatever reason you need to look at your phone and on that day, I'll notice when I finish for the evening 
and I finally look at my phone. It's got bloody paint all over it, you know, because it's like I haven't taken my gloves off to look at the phone. I haven't. It's like, yeah, there's a whatever, like I'll message that person later or I'll check that email later. It's like, and then I'll throw it back down. It's like, you know, yeah, so you, right. you have to also be really strict with how much you're going to let in mm. to your mind during that working process. Nearly every day before I paint, I'll do a one or two minute breathing meditation really fast. And it's just, it's, it's one or two minutes. It's nothing. But it's enough just to go, this is my little pause window before I, you know, hit the canvas. Well, David, I am looking forward so much to opening night of Mankini Island and Rosalind Oxley 9. Thank you. Good luck and thanks so much for coming onto the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed my conversation with David as much as I did. I also took some video of David in his studio, which will be online by mid-February on the Talking With Painters YouTube channel and on the website. In addition to Rosalind Oxley Nine Gallery, he's also represented by Station Gallery in Melbourne and by Gag Projects in Adelaide. Talking With Painters is also on social media, so you can follow on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening and I hope you can join me for the next episode of Talking With Painters. If you're a painter and you're in that zone, so to speak, you know when you're in it because nothing, every, you transcend everything. And time goes very fast. Time goes really fast, yeah. But it could have been, you know, that moment that felt like maybe 40 minutes was four hours. Yeah.